One. Last week we began this series of messages through the book of Romans, and we saw that it was from the Apostle Paul. If we were to uh, be able to talk with Paul, you know, it's, it's important that we understand uh, the connection between this section we're in this morning and the last section, which is the wrath of God and the gospel of God. If we could have a dialogue with Paul, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we would say, well, why not, Paul? Because it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. Well, how so? How is that so, Paul? Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. That is God's way of justifying sinners. And we might ask Paul, but why is this necessary? And he would say, because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And we say, well, Paul, how have people suppressed the truth? And he says, because what may be known, what may be known of God is plain to them, because since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities have been seen. And as we look here in Romans chapter 1, let's read verses 18 through 23. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, since, and so they are without excuse. So Paul, in beginning his gospel, there in verses uh, 16 and 17, you know, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know what the gospel can do. I've seen the power of the gospel, and it has the power to save everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. He says, in the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed because in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed to us. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. But then he says, for the wrath of God. In other words, he's saying the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And here's why. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Today, people don't believe in God's wrath. They don't believe in a God that will punish sin. They think that God is incapable of this. Now, we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Most churches today, they preach a Jesus that just loves you no matter what you do, no matter who you are. He loves you unconditionally. And the Bible does not teach this Jesus. This is a Jesus that is foreign to the Bible. But they listen to preachers who tell them that God loves them unconditionally. And then they, they, they hear that there is no reason to fear God's wrath. 
And my friends, I want you to know this morning, there is every reason to fear God's wrath if you do not believe the gospel. Turn with me to Psalms 5, Psalm 5. <clears throat> In Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5, he says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Y'all ready for this? You hate all evildoers. You hate all evildoers. That kind of takes the, the whole God loves everybody thing out of place, doesn't it? This passage tells us that God's wrath for all ungodliness and unrighteousness. You know, when Paul uses the word ungodliness, uh, it, it's, it's a word that it represents our sins against God. And when he talks about unrighteousness, it represents our sins against one another. As a matter of fact, you realize what Paul says right here. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from, all against, from heaven against all ungodliness. That covers the first four Ten Commandments. And all unrighteousness, that covers the last six. Paul's saying you have broken the law. This is what sin is. Sin is breaking the law of God. Sin is falling short of God's glory that Paul will tell us later. But we need to understand the umbrella term for ungodliness and unrighteousness is sin. And all sin offends God and harms humanity. Uh, I, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the story of David. David, you all know the story. He, he sees Bathsheba. He lusts for her. He takes her to uh, takes her and he, he commits adultery with her. And then to cover it up, he has her husband murdered. Okay, that's the short, that's the reader's digest version of the story. But yet in the 51st Psalm, when David in his great repentance psalm, he says, in relation to this, he says to God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, I can imagine Bathsheba and, and uh, my mind just went blank. What's his name? Uriah are standing over there saying, hey, what about us? But you see, David did not deny that he had sinned against them. What he was saying was that ultimately all sin is against God. Today, you know, a, a definition of sin is essential. Today, sins are downgraded. Uh, nobody sins anymore. They just make mistakes. They make a bad decision. Or one that is really relevant today, they just have a mental illness. <clears throat> Someone walks into a crowded church and shoots people dead. And all the talk is, we need to think more about mental health. Is his mental health what's wrong? You see, we don't understand that salvation, that, that, that sin is a heart issue. Do you know why people walk into crowded churches and crowded theaters and kill people? Because they have hard hearts. 
We need to understand that, that we don't, that we cannot call this a mistake or an error in judgment. Sin is a transgression against the law of God. Now, think about this. This occurred to me. What, what caused God to determine certain things to be sinful? I mean, do, do you picture in your mind that God's up there and he's got this big old long list and says, adultery, okay, that's going to be a sin. Lying, I'm going to make that a sin too. Murder, I'm going to make that a sin too. This, I'm not going to make that a sin. Is that what he did? No, no. Do you realize that when God created Adam, the Bible tells us that, God, that Adam was created in God's image. Okay? When Adam sinned, that image was marred. Jesus came to, to redo what Adam had lost, basically. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, who is Christ? He's God. So we are being conformed to the image of God. So we need to understand today that when, when one commits adultery... That's a sin against God. You know why? Because God is faithful. When somebody is lying, that's a sin against God. Why? Because God is truth. So you see, our sins not only harm us, they defame God. And, and this is why God hates sin to the degree that he does. Uh, our culture today outright rejects the concept of sin. You know what? Tomorrow morning, get on and, and watch all the news programs that come on. That's talking about everything going on in our world today. Uh, you know, watch The View. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> or, or any one of these other shows. Listen, you know, watch Jerry Springer. And Jerry telling them people, what you're doing is sinful. Is that what he's going to say? No. The world today rejects sin. Uh, they, they see reproof of sin as an act of repression. <clears throat> I want to tell you one of the most dangerous things we've ever done, not only in the world, but especially here in our own country, is when we made those who live a lifestyle of homosexuality and called them minorities. They're not minorities. They're reprobates. That's what they are. And we need to, we, but we don't call sin, sin anymore. And this is one of the problems that we have. Um, reproof and judgment and divine wrath are not popular themes today. When you, you know, you, you go into anywhere you want to go. And you sit and tell these people and say, as long as you continue in this sinful lifestyle, you will suffer the judge, judgment and the righteous wrath of God. And I promise you, they will tell you, you don't know who God is. My God is not like that. The God that I know is a God of love, a God of uh, acceptance, and a God that just loves you no matter what. And that may be their God, but he's a false God. So this is one of the things that Paul here is discussing. He says in verse 18 that they suppress the truth. Everyone knows the truth about God at some level, but people suppress the truth. You know, we, we often equate 
God's wrath with our wrath. And we need to understand they're not the same thing. You see, I may get angry at you about something. You may say something bad about me. You may say something bad about my wife. But you see, my, my anger towards you is filled with malice and vengefulness. I want to see you suffer. <laughs> I want that. I mean, when I'm mad at you, okay? I don't mean I really want that, but, <laughs> but you see, God's wrath is not like that. God's wrath is perfectly just. You know, th th that's why I love that quote by Charles Spurgeon, and I have used this over and over and over. It, it, it was such a relief to me to read this long time ago when he said, don't be angry when people speak ill of you. Because you know you're worse than they say you are. You know, or as uh, I think it was Jonathan Edwards one time, somebody wrote a letter about him and just defamed him and all this. And they said, what are you going to do about it? He said, I'm glad he doesn't know me any better. Or the letter would have been longer. <laughs> you see, we understand that we rightly deserve the wrath of God. We rightly deserve that God, that, that we are as bad as God says we are. And until we understand it, let me, let me back up here and kind of set the tone. I'm sorry, I should have done this at the beginning. You see, what Paul's doing in the first, at last we talked about in the first part of the chapter, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he tells us why he's not ashamed of the gospel. Now he's telling us, this is going to go all the way through part of chapter 3, why we need the gospel. And then he's going to tell us what the gospel is. But you see, you cannot know the importance of the gospel until you know the importance of the fact that you need the gospel. And this is something that we, I think we just don't understand today. But we need to understand that God's wrath against sin is essential to his nature. God hates sin. All right? But there are many today who will say... We don't believe in this God of wrath. We don't believe in your God that does this. But Paul says that they suppress the knowledge of God of his existence, even though it has been manifest ever since the creation of the world. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, Paul is saying you can say there's not a God all you want to. Did you know <clears throat> That, that in reality, well, I know you know this in reality, but there's no such thing as an atheist. Did you know that? There's not. Let me tell you the, the mindset of an atheist. There is no God and I hate him. That's their mindset. There is no God and I hate him. So you see, there is no such thing as a, a true atheist. But... Ever how much people wish to excuse themselves from judgment, Paul warns that they are without excuse, for they know the truth at some level. Someone asked R.C. Sproul one time, said, Okay, what about that poor, innocent man in the back jungles of Africa that's never heard of Jesus? And R.C. said, I'm going to tell you right now, that man will die and go straight to heaven because he doesn't need Jesus. Because you called him innocent. Problem is, he's not. There's no such thing as anyone that's innocent. And Paul here, he says, you know, that no one will stand before God and say, I didn't know. Paul says, they, they have no excuse. 
Because even creation itself from the very beginning points to the fact that there is a God. They know this truth at some level. And if we ignore God's wrath towards sin, the gospel never quite makes sense. You understand that? You need to be saved. Well, saved from what? Now, there is a form that, has, that, that, that goes around today that, that I want to tell you is, is not biblical. You have not been saved from hell. Jesus did not come to save us from hell. Jesus came to save us from sin. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. You see, if I believe that I've been saved from hell, then I can go out and live all I want to. Don't have to worry about it. But if I've been saved from sin, then when I sin, I'm going to find that conviction is there, that I hate that sin because this is what I've been saved from. The, the sacrifice of Christ uh, atoning for sin, it, it atones for sin by the satisfying of God's wrath towards sin. You know, if you ignore or disbelieve God's wrath, then Jesus in the garden crying out, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, makes no sense. If you deny the wrath of God, Jesus crying from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, makes no sense. Because you know what was in that cup? The wrath of God. Do you know what was happening when he cried out? The wrath of God was being poured out on him. So ignoring or disbelieving God's wrath, the gospel itself makes no sense. And this is one of the reasons why you and I, when we share the gospel, one of the things we have to do, you know, John MacArthur talks about, it, he says that, that there is good news and there's bad news. But it's the bad news that makes the good news good. You know what the bad news is, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. That's the bad news. There's no hope. There's nowhere to go. The good news is Jesus took care of it. That's the good news. That is the gospel. Uh, we, we tell people, as I said, you need to be saved. But what do they need to be saved from? When we share the gospel, we must help people to understand. Now, I'm not saying you walk up to somebody and say, you know what? You're a dirty, filthy sinner. and You better get right. That's not how you do it. Uh, if you've never watched, what's his name? Yeah, Ray Comfort. Uh, he, you know, I love he was talking to this one guy and he says, you know, he says, have you ever done anything wrong? And he says, well, I don't think so. I'm a good person. And he says, well, have you ever stolen anything? And he said, well, yeah. He said, well, what does that make you? And he said, well, I guess it's a thief. <laughs> and he said, well, have you ever lied? And he said, well, yeah. He said, what does that make you? And he said, a liar. And he said, no, it makes you a lying thief. And you see, he helps them see. We have to help see. And this is what Paul's trying to do here. Paul is saying, look, you have to understand where you are in relation to God so that you'll know how to get where you need to be in relation to God. And in relation to God, we are estranged from Him at birth. We are sinners. We, have, uh, we, we are far away from Him because we have broken God's law and we have sinned against Him. And Paul says we must understand. And, and he's going to talk about how uh, we're going to see next week how the Gentiles have sinned against him, how the Jews have sinned against him, how everyone has sinned against God. 
That's why he says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And so we must understand when he says, for this, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, Paul says. Ever since when? The creation of the world. In the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. You know what's interesting? I read the other day, now I didn't read the, the, the in-depth article on this. I just saw kind of the, whatever you call it, byline of it. But this guy was talking about how <clears throat> there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is that Alexander the Great really lived. And I thought, well, I, I meant to go back and read it, but I forgot about it. But I just thought it was interesting because uh, Paul says, you know what, there is no excuse. You, no one can say, I don't know, or I didn't know. They may never hear a preacher mention the name of Jesus to them. But Paul says, doesn't matter. All they have to do is look at the stars. All they have to do is look at creation. And God screams out at them, here I am. But he says that they, in verse 21, they knew God. Now, to me, you know, when we talk about the depths of utter depravity in man... That, that our sin has permeated every single atom of our being. Mind, body, and soul. I mean, we are totally corrupt. This is one of those verses that proves it. They knew it was God. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When you reject God, there's only one, word, one, one place to go. You see, we were created to worship. We are created to to worship and we will every single person on this planet will worship someone or something now you know who our number one god is right that's me he's a false god by the way but paul says we are made to worship and the sign the sign of a dark heart and a futile mind is that you will always turn to idols they will always turn. You know, it's interesting because if you read through the Old Testament, from the time God brought Israel out of Egypt all the way to the end, time after time after time after time, they were suffering the invasion of other nations, the judgment of God on them. And did you know that every single time God judged them, it was always for the very same thing? Idolatry, turning to other gods. What is the very first commandment? You will have no other gods before me. And we break this, and they break this. But these here that Paul talks about, he says that the sign of a dark heart and a futile mind is that they turn to idols. Today, we have created... Uh, one of the things that I think has happened in many of our churches today is rather than man being created in the image of God, 
We have created a God who's in our image. We have created a glorified us. Do you know why God would do certain things? Because that's what I would do. Do you know why God will not do certain things? Because that's not what I would do. And we, this is what happens when you reject who God is. You know, through the remainder of this chapter, <clears throat> we're going to see what happens when you reject the truth. We talked in Sunday school this morning about how the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth, the pillars and the foundation. We are to be about truth, the truth about who God is, who Christ is, what Christ came to do, what the Bible teaches. We are to be about the truth. And when you reject truth, there's nowhere else to go. Today, Truth is relative. Your truth may not be my truth. I, it's okay if I think it's wrong for you to murder somebody. But you may not feel that way, and that's okay. You realize how dangerous that is? <laughs> I remember Cindy telling me about some actress who... Uh, Accused this back years ago when this happened. Evidently, she accused one of her male co-stars with abusing her sexually, and he just flat out denied it. And when they can, when they confronted her, she said, "Well, that's my truth. It may not be his truth, but that's my truth." Again, do you see how dangerous that is? And Paul here is saying, when you reject the truth of who God is, when you reject the one truth uh, of what God has done, then we begin to bow before idols. And we become, Paul says, in verse 22, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. When people refer, refuse to honor or thank God, they turn to idolatry. We, we, we bow to objects made of wood and made of stone, but, but they, it doesn't have to be made out. You know that a lot of times our objects are made out of paper. You all know who I'm talking about, right? We love to worship dead presidents. Sometimes our idols are power or acceptance. Or significance or pleasure or fame. You know, I find it amazing that, you know, in today, in, in our world today, when, when information, you know, the information superhighway, there's something you can find out anything about anybody anywhere at any time. And one of the things is, <clears throat> I am amazed at the price people pay to be famous. But do you know why? Do you know why people will pay any price to be famous? What, what, do we, what do we normally do when it comes to, what do we call it, how we relate to people that are famous, whether they're actors or singers or whoever? What do we call that? We worship them. So-and-so's my idol. Huh? Celebrity. Celebrity, yeah. We call them stars. But you see, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, they rejected God, so they began to worship idols. And sometimes fame can be that idol. But fame, the idol that fame goes to is the God of me. 
We must worship. And so uh, idols, in some sense, absorb our attention. They demand our affection. They fill our thoughts. They lay down rules that we must follow in order to appease them. You know, Paul Washer, he said, you tell me what you think about, and I'll tell you who your God is. You know, I love our, uh, Derek Thomas in our study we, we did here a while back of Romans chapter 8. He asked a question that, and you know, I was watching the video of this before the men here ever did, and I, I bet I went back and rewound it, watched this three or four times, and said, what did he say? Before it finally hit home, and here's what he said. He said, what do you think about when you don't think about anything at all? What do you think about when you don't think about anything at all? Now, ladies, I know you don't understand that, but for us men, we do that a lot. We don't think about anything at all. But his, pro his, his point was, where do your thoughts go when they have free time? Do they run to the Dallas Cowboys? Do they run to what's going on in the government? Do they run to some thoughts about that, 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 are, that involve um, lust or something like that? You see, Paul tells us in the 12th chapter, he's going to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And here, when he says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, became futile in their thinking. In their what? Their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images remember, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, did you notice one thing that, that Paul did here? He says, they rejected the one true God, so they began to make idols of birds and creeping things. And man, you see, he takes us back to the creation. He says they don't worship the creator. They wanted to worship the creature instead. And he says that they, uh, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. <clears throat> if you've ever watched anything that has to do with ancient Egypt or ancient Rome, or today, um, modern India. Do you know that the Hindu religion literally has over a million different gods that you can worship? You, you name it, and there's a god for it, and you can worship. And Paul says this is what happens when you reject the truth. Paul says that God's wrath and judgments are topics that we need to hear but don't want to hear. And in the world today, they don't want to be told, you're an idolater. Did you know, you know, throughout Paul's letters, one of the things that he says over and over and over and over and over and over is, he says, be careful, be on guard, watch yourself. And and I, fear, I realize, because you realize how many times we can come in and we can make 
an idol of this building, or we can make an idol of this preacher, or an idol of our music, or an idol of, of just about anything in here if we're not careful. But we have to do one thing first before we can make these idols, and that is reject the one true God. And today we live in a world that has rejected, and they didn't just start this, by the way. It goes all the way back a long way. They reject the one true God. And so, therefore, they begin to worship uh, idols. And if the preaching on sin grows weary to us, we need to remember the structure of Romans 1 through 4. Paul introduces and states the gospel, then he expounds the need for the gospel, and then he expounds the gospel itself. We all have idols that we will not easily forsake. And I have found, and, and I want to tell you, I, I, there is this God that I know, <laughs> and He makes me so frustrated. And it's me. He may, it frustrates me because I don't want him to be my God. But it seems like no matter how hard I try, I keep coming back to him. You know what? I'm not going to go to that church because I don't like their kind of music. Or I don't like that kind of preaching. Or I don't like their style of worship doesn't matter whether that's where God wants me or not. What matters is that's not where I want to be because of all these reasons. You see, I have become my own God. And so we have to be careful. These idols must be put down. But you see what Paul's doing here. He's saying, look, you need to understand. And, and this is the only way I know to put this. Okay, please don't get offended at me. Paul needs to understand how bad you really are. And how bad I really am. This is what he says we need to understand in order to get to where we need to be. The futility of idolatry works out in two ways. Uh, at times, God allows people to follow whatever they want and suffer the consequences. This is what we're going to see in the next section. That's a very dangerous place to be. Uh, in this case, God reveals his wrath indirectly by giving people up to do whatever they please to their own shame. Things go their own way. They reap the consequences. Romans 1 pronounces God's judgment before it turns to the blessed gospel. It's a hard thing for us to understand in our world today. We don't want to stand here and listen to somebody tell me what a bad person I am. That I'm an idolater. That even though I may go to church and have my name on the church roll, I may not be saved. We don't like being told this. We don't like being told that, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that unless I repent and do what God said... His wrath is for me. His wrath is for all of us. Biblical repentance is more than regret or sorrow for causing offense. The repentant is to say, I have sinned against God. We need to say like David, it is against you and you only have I sinned. 
When David wrote the 51st Psalm and he prays this prayer to God and he is saying, oh God, please forgive me. I hate my sin. We tend to think that, it, that if I go to God and say, you know what, I sinned and I'm really sorry, God. Will you please forgive me? God says, ah, don't worry about it. Everybody's, nobody's perfect. And we don't understand that when I sin against God, there's something between us. Now, if you have someone you love, husband, wife, child, grandchild, and something comes between the two of you that breaks off the fellowship with you, does that bother you? And, and, and don't we usually, aren't we really in a position where we say, you know what, I love you and this is keeping it. So you tell me I will do whatever is necessary to bring us back together. And that's what God says. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you ever want to pray a prayer and mean something, say to God, Lord, do whatever you have to do to me to get me where I need to be. And then hang on. But will it be worth it? You better believe it. And that's what Paul, he says, look, you're without excuse. There is no shortage of people today who preach a distorted gospel. <clears throat> that God loves you just the way you are. That God accepts you just as you are. That you're okay. He's a God of love. He's a God that understands. Now, is that true? Yes, it is. He is a God of love. He is a God who understands. But the one, one of the things that we don't understand that God understands is that his sin will destroy your life. And God loves you too much to let it happen. And so therefore he calls us. He calls those who are lost and he says repent of your sin and come to me and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to walk and, and believe in him by faith and begin to walk in him by faith. He says to those of us who are saved, he says put your sin away, come to me and repent of that sin, be restored to fellowship with me. How? By faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We, you know, Paul in the book of, I think it was Colossians, he says, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. How'd you receive him? By faith. So how are we to walk in him? By faith. But we must see sin for what it truly is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the book that shows us, Father, who we are. Thank you, Lord, that you do not gloss over what's happened, that we have fallen short of your glory, that we have indeed sinned against you greatly. Father, help us to echo the words of the Apostle Paul that we know that in us, that is in our flesh, dwells absolutely no good thing. And Father, as we come now to your table and gather around together, Help us to remember, Father, that it's because of the, our sin that the sacrifice of Jesus was made necessary.
We thank you, Father, that you have shown us ample evidence of your existence, but also of who you are. Father, help us who are saved to be diligent, to be faithful, to proclaim the message of the gospel. And Father, may we be faithful to point out their sin, that we may speak the truth in love. Father, that they might repent and turn to Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.